0: Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. As usual, I am your host, and we try to bring this podcast to you each week, Um, and you can get information about this podcast at our normal place on the internet at confessingourhope.com. If you want to find out more information about Greenville Seminary, you can do that anytime you feel like it. Grab your computer and simply go to gpts. There, you'll find out all information about the academics of the school, our resources, uh, the background of the school, the professors, and all of that information that you would expect to find on an educational website is there and available for you. Again, the website is gpts.edu. In addition to that, we do have a mobile app that you can use for listening to both chapel sermons and this podcast on the go, wherever you may be. Simply plug in your headphones either to the top or the bottom of your phone, as it may be, and uh, click the little button on your screen there, and you can be listening to this podcast or various chapel sermons most of the time preached by our president, Dr. Joseph Piper. Today we do have a discussion. We're going to be welcoming back onto the program Dr. Joel Beakey. He is the president of Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. And uh, we had him on a few weeks ago to talk about a book that he wrote, Parenting by God's Promises. Uh This week, we're going to have him on to talk about a little bit different subject. In fact, a lot different subject, but there's some relationship, I'm sure, somewhere in there. But we're going to have him on to talk about um, what he has um, put together, which I think is invaluable resource uh, for anybody, not just students, not just those involved in theology for a living, but anybody who is interested in what were the Puritans Uh, views and ideas and how they framed and structured what we understand as Puritan theology today. He has put out a book together with Mark Jones uh, titled A Puritan Theology, Doctrine for Life, and it's a book that I have had my eye on personally for many weeks when I knew it was coming out and harangued our poor librarian here at the seminary until I actually got my copy. So, um, anyway, Dr. Beaky, it's great to have you back on the program. Uh, pretty short notice, but um, we're thankful that you, you managed to uh, carve out some time in your schedule to talk with us about a book I know you're very excited about.
1: Well, great to be here, brother. Thank you for having me.
0: Now, this book, um, if I don't miss my mark, Dr. Beeky, Dr. this is a book that is a, a really a result of a lifelong work. Um, what was the – what really got you motivated to do this?
1: Well, let me say that as a teenager, some 40 years ago, I was deeply moved by Puritan writings, and God used the Puritans primarily to bring me to spiritual liberty in the gospel. And so I started a business when I was 17 years old called Bible Truth Books, and I began selling Puritan books uh, around uh, North America. Later on, I uh, started a new business called Reformation Heritage Books expand that ministry. So I've been selling Puritans all my life and reading them all my life, always had one one Puritan going. And I had a dream uh, in my 20s, uh, I'm speaking of dream figuratively now, <laughs> to sure. uh, put together the very first Puritan systematic theology book. It was one of those great big dreams you have that you think you'll never do. But I began to pick away at it and I didn't tell anybody about my dream and just began to teach Puritan theology at the seminary here. And did a chapter on this, to a chapter on that. And my goal was when I retired, when I'm 70 or so, I would put this book together. But meanwhile, a PCA pastor from Vancouver by the name of Mark Jones sent me about 15 chapters of material that he had done on the Puritans and asked if we would print that as a book. But when I looked at the chapters he had done, most of which were on the Covenant, which is an area I have not studied on the Puritans very much at any point in my life, but have collected materials, I decided, wow, this is tremendous, because his work and my work could collaborate, and we could have a pretty fulsome work. Mm-hmm. So I suggested to him that we, we go together on a co-authorship, and he was excited about that. And then I sort of suggested, well, maybe we could wait some years so I um, retired and so on, but he sort of wanted to go right now. So he said to me, um, "Send me a, a table of contents that you'd like to see in the book." So I went through all the major areas I think that church has contributed to systematic theology, came up with 80 chapters, and he, he saw that he just about he, he couldn't believe it. He said, "This is going to be a three-volume work," and I said, "Okay, I'll cut it back," and we cut it back to 30. And then once we cut it back to thirty, we, we produced those chapters. And then but then we realized there's lots of holes and I mean, how can you skip over Providence of God, for example? John Flavel mm-hmm. wrote a masterpiece on it. So we added that chapter back in and another chapter and another chapter. But by the time we were done, we were back up to sixty. And then we said, Oh no, now we've got a problem, we can't fit this in one volume, but by by having large pages and fairly small print, we were able to get it into a, a one thousand 50-page volume and do 60 chapters, of which 51 or 52 chapters are topics where the Puritans contributed to systematics, and then the last eight chapters or so are strictly chapters that talk about how they put their theology into practice in daily living, in their family, in their home, and that type of thing. So the goal, Mm. then to the reader, the first ever systematic theology of the Puritans.
0: Now, how long did it take from the beginning when you actually began putting this together, when you finally landed on, okay, we're going to do 60 chapters? At that point, then, how did you and Mark work together to get this actually going forward and then land in the, in the hands of the printer? And what, what are we talking well, about so as I, far as a timeline?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a little deceiving because about half of my chapters were pretty well done in lecture notes. And a few of them have been, well, several of them have been published elsewhere. But what we did do there was we, we went back through and, and edited them all, which still takes considerable time, but not like studying from scratch. So in a way, this book began 30 some years ago and it was just building, building all the while. But in terms of once we decided to actually do this book together, from that date until two weeks ago when it came out, uh, by the way, four thousand. we printed 4,000 copies, and all 4,000 copies sold in the first six days. So we're now printing 6,000 more copies, and they should be in next week. But um, I think probably 18 months, maybe.
0: Wow, it's phenomenal, and and, and just to, to draw attention to to the response that was had to this book, uh, I already indicated my excitement to you off air and a little bit on air um, about this book coming out and and my love for the Puritans, and I just couldn't wait to get my hands on this. Um, the response has been uh, it seems it, that the response has even been higher than expected.
1: Very much higher than expected. Yeah, yeah, it is a big book. So we thought, well, we should probably print two thousand, and then we said, no, maybe three. There's a lot of interest in the Beardsen. And just as we were going to press, I said, well, why don't we why don't we print four? Really go out on a limb. And If you had said to me that we would sell all four thousand in one week, I would, I just would have said, you're joking. But but that's actually what happened, and, and I'm just really excited about it and grateful and humbled by by this whole thing. So I'm going to
0: ask you. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say so. My, I, I sort of have a companion volume, as you know, called Meet the Puritans, which actually looks at the biographies and all the books the Puritans have that have been reprinted by the Puritans in the last 50 years, and um, we're actually reprinting that book for the fifth time, and we're kind of matching covers, so there'll be matching volumes, but that book, Meet the Puritans, I was hoping to sell 5,000 copies, and that has sold about twenty six, twenty seven thousand copies so far, so... There seems to be a real interest in um, knowing about the Puritans, their lives, and their theology. And that's exciting to me.
0: Absolutely. And, um, well, since, since you mentioned that, and for people, for the benefit of those who may be listening that are like, okay, Puritans, who, who are these guys, the Puritans? Why don't you give us, and I can think of no better person that could actually do this, than yourself. I've read a number of your books through the years. I've spoken with you um a few times. Um I have that other book you talked about. If it's got Puritan on it, I probably have it. Um or at least some some percentage of the Puritan books. I'm sure I don't have everything that's out there. I was just looking at your the back of this volume, the works referenced and I thought, man, this would fill a small warehouse um of the number of works here. But why don't you tell us who the Puritans were? and maybe give us some historical background to them and why you are, are so uh, excited about uh, um, their influence in the Christian world.
1: Well, uh, the term Puritan really began in the 1560s, and it was a term of derision, sort of like it's used today. Oh, you're a Puritan. You really are mm-hmm. holy. That's the way it was used originally. And my own my own conviction is that Um, largely the movement is a work of the Holy Spirit and it's a response to what we as historians call second-generation phenomena and the second-generation phenomena means the first generation a movement gets really excited and the Spirit works mightily like in the original first-generation Reformation but in the second generation when children grow up in the church, there's often a kind of malaise that sets in a kind of um, backsliding, you might say, a lukewarmness and they become nominal Christians. And then the spirit works a reaction to that in the following generation. and that's that's really what happened here. Puritans are third, fourth, fifth generation reformers, and they embraced fully the doctrines of the Reformation. but now, coming fifty to one hundred to one hundred and fifty years later, uh, because Puritanism is really a, a, a late 16th century and 17th century and maybe early 18th century movement. The Puritans uh, had liberty and they had time to take the doctrines of the Reformation and really apply them to the heart and to the life mm. and to all kinds of areas of daily living. So that's that's what they did, and uh, the Really really what the Puritans are doing is they're taking all of Scripture and applying it to all of life, and looking at it all in a Trinitarian way, um, exalting the Father, centering on the Son, and doing due justice to the work of the Holy Spirit in the soul. And so, Puritanism really grew out of three areas of need. There was a need for good biblical preaching and, and sound Reformed doctrine, and then there was a need for personal piety that stresses the work of the Holy Spirit and the faith and life of the believer. And then there was a the need to restore biblical simplicity and purity to their worship. And so the Puritans focused on on all of these things in reaction to um, the Church of England's kind of cold and oratorical, flowery kind of preaching. Mm -hmm. So if I would summarize it this way, I'd say it this way. Trimally, Puritanism was a a kind of vigorous Calvinism. Um, Experientially, it was warm and contagious. Evangelistically, it was aggressive, yet tender. And ecclesiastically, it was uh, God-centered and worshipful. And politically, it aimed to be scriptural and balanced and to be bound by conscience before God uh, and man in the relationship of uh, king and parliament and subjects.
0: What was the golden era, if if I can use that that phrase, that that, that title of the Puritan um, of Puritan history?
1: Well, I think think William Perkins is often called the father of Puritanism. By the time he died, I think we've entered the golden era, and and he left lots of successors, and a lot of people were converted, became great Puritans. Uh, So he died in 1603. So let's say 1600 to 1662, probably, I would pick, when um, the sad day occurred that 2,000 Puritans got expelled from their pulpits. And maybe the climax was the Westminster Assembly and um, the Westminster Standards. Um, might have been the, the golden part of the Golden Age in the, in the late 1640s. That was probably when Puritanism, Puritan theology, reached its uh, reached its peak. Although later Puritans, all the way up until 1700, um, were were great theologians as well.
0: Now you mentioned the Westminster Assembly. What kind of representation did the Puritans have at the assembly?
1: Well, they were pretty much it. I mean, all, all, nearly all 100 of them were Puritans. I mean, there were some Scottish commissioners, but they were Puritan-minded Scots, you might say, with a small p. So half a dozen of them. But basically, what's interesting is are Puritan Puritan documents.
0: And you've released this book. Obviously, you believe that um, this material that the Puritans have produced, labored over, and and given to the church really, uh, through their labors um, throughout history, are are important and valuable for us today, living in the 21st century. Um, What is the need for the Puritan an understanding of Puritan theology today? Aren't we more enlightened now than they were?
1: Well, I'm
0: I'm glad you took that as a joke, because that's how I meant it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm laughing because the Puritans are so far advanced over us, theologically as a whole. Uh, Not necessarily the people in the pew, although they were well-versed as well, but the Puritan ministers were extremely well-educated. They all knew Greek and Hebrew very well, do their theology very well, studied constantly, And we're very, very able people, usually considered the most educated people in their society. But let me answer your question directly. Uh, How how can we profit from Puritans today? Puritans do a lot of things well that we do fairly poorly. One thing is they really let their lives be shaped by Scripture. I mean, they love Scripture. They live Scripture. They sing Scripture. They breathe Scripture. They memorize Scripture. They relish the power of the Holy Spirit applying Scripture. And um, that's why the Puritan preachers, they were they at were home in the book of Micah and Habakkuk as they were in the Gospel of John or Romans. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were really word-centered people. The second thing that the Puritans do that I think really needs to be done more and better today is they knew how to wed together uh, doctrine, Christian teaching, and practice Christian living, uh, orthopraxy and orthodoxy. You never, ever would hear a Puritan say, you know, doctrine is boring, or I don't like doctrine. Uh, They would agree with Martin Luther, who said doctrine is heaven. By these things Mm -hmm. we live. And that's why um, all the closing chapters of this book deal with how they put doctrine into practice. And that's why the subtitle of the book, Doctrine Unto Life, Doctrines for Living, and they stress that by confronting the conscience in their preaching and teaching and by engaging the heart as well as uh, addressing the mind intellectually the third thing that the puritans do really really well is they they knew how to um, take a flashlight as it were into every text and search around for jesus christ and then bring him out and expose him and placard him and hold him up to the people so they Be focused on Christ in a a beautiful, beautiful way that would just move your emotions and your your intellect and your affections. And then another thing that uh, always strikes me reading the Puritans is that they really knew how to handle trials. They went through a lot of trials themselves. Most of them were in prison at some point. Most of them lost 50% of their children. because He had very big families. It wasn't unusual for a Puritan to have to bury five, six, seven children. Um, And these men wrestled with a submission, uh, acquiescence to God's will, and they wrote treatises about it. They really, really have a lot to teach us in, in that area. Mm. And then maybe I'll mention uh, just 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 two more things. One is um, they, they really focused on what we call experiential theology, that is, how you experience the doctrines of grace in the soul and, and then live them out in your life. So they would go from mind, soul... Or heart uh, to hands. So head, heart, hands was sort of their motto, and that's the way they address the whole man, usually in that order in preaching. But that's also how they live their lives. They would first inform their mind, then they would let it sink deeply into their soul, and they would live it out with their hands and their feet. And that kind of experiential uh, emphasis is, is sorely, sorely needed in Reformed churches, in particular today, because there's a lot of head knowledge in preaching, but um, the preacher, the Puritan would say, we'd have to bring it home to the heart and to the conscience as, as well. And then the last thing I'd mention, Bill, is that they, they, the Puritans really teach us how to live in, in two worlds at the same time. They always said, you've got two eyes. One eye should be on eternity in heaven, and the other eye should be on time. But even that eye should engage itself in terms of the coming eternity. So they really were heavenly-minded people, but at the same time, they worked hard on earth to subject everything to the glory of God. So the combination of these five or six things makes for a powerful package of, of living holy to God in every area of life, solely deo gloria. And I think mm. that's what we that's what we learned from the Puritans.
0: Absolutely. And that's one thing, uh, even as I personally read the Puritans, everything you just said, you know, um, it comes through, seem time and time again. Um, I, I remember commenting even to a student um, here at the seminary. We were at the Banner of Truth conference, and um, they were looking through the sea of books that they had there at the store. And I said, "Look, if you're not gonna, if you don't buy anything in this room, I said, you need to pick up that Puritan paperback right there by Thomas Manton, and or, 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 I'm sorry, Thomas Watson, and you need to read that book." But don't read it without a first aid kit close by because it's, it cuts, it, it's convicting, it's the, the way they use their, the language, um, it's penetrating, it's, it, it reaches into the heart. It doesn't just fill your mind with information, everything you just said. And, and I've read that book four times, and, and I wish it, it's a lot easier to read the book than to do what's in it, granted. But it is yeah. so what, much what you just said. Um, I've got to ask you, who is your favorite Puritan?
1: Oh, dear. I get that all the time. Um, you know, it changes, Bill, over the years. You know, when I was young, it was definitely Thomas Watson for a while when I was 15, 16 years old. Then for a while, I was very, very moved by Thomas Brooks, uh, my late teens. And then for a while, John Flabel, Um Bunyan was my favorite for a while. And then for a long time, in my 20s and perhaps mid-30s, I was really into Thomas Goodwin. And uh, actually, I enjoy still to today Goodwin more than Owen, even though they're both very similar in many ways. But um, I think Goodwin's probably very un- underrated. Probably the last five years, I've been into uh, Anthony Burgess more. Mm. And mm-hmm. um, though he's, you know, I wrote a letter once to Ian Murray. I said, don't you think that Anthony Burgess is the one great Puritan that did not get reprinted in series of complete works in the 19th century? And he wrote back and said, you know, he feels the same way, that, you know, there are a lot of good Puritan writers, and then there are great Puritan writers, like Flavel and Brooks and Owen and Watson, and most of them had their works put together into a series of volumes published in the 19th century. Um, Though Thomas Watson didn't. But um, Anthony Burgess never even had anyone attempt to bring his works together at all, and that's one of my goals yet in life, to try to uh, bring together uh, perhaps a complete set of the works of of, uh, Anthony Burgess. I'm also very much into William Perkins at present. I'm I'm co-editor with Derek Thomas of of a ten-volume set of William Perkins. You know, William Perkins has never been really reprinted in full, his three massive volumes, which we're going Mm. to reprint in ten, and we're hoping to bring out one a year, hoping to do the project in ten years. that's that that will be a great boon to Puritan studies because um you know, it's like it's like not having Calvin's institutes. I mean you'd say that'd be yes. crazy in the yeah, reform right. world. And and here we have Perkins with all these popular treatises. Every treatise is applicable to today and there's just dozens of them. And um we've never bothered to reprint him.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'm gonna clear space on my shelf right now. <laughs> for that time. <laughs> I'm looking around my study and I'm thinking, hmm, where would I put those? Um, but that would really be exciting. And, and, and certainly through your partnership, your work with Reformation Heritage Books, and it, it, the, really that's it, that's the outlet of what, as I understand things, really your desire has been for, for many, many years to put into the hands of people like us, um, these things that have either been forgotten in some sense or just have been ignored. And what a great resource. And Reformation Heritage Books gets so much of the credit for the labors they do for the church, um, publishing this volume that we're, we're kind of talking about today, and we're going to talk about here in a minute more specifically. Um, but, but that's been a great, great um, treasure for the church to take advantage of. And, and if I remember correctly, and and uh, I'll ask this question. I think you commented to me one time, and maybe it was one of the workers from RHB that had met, basically mentioned that you do most things at a not-for-profit level at the bookstore.
1: Yes, yeah, well, it is a not-for-profit. I set it up as a not-for-profit, and um, I do all my work for RHB. I actually edit every single book that we publish. I do it I do it without charge at all. And I this is the love of my heart. I just love doing it, sitting in my chair by my wife late at night, just editing, proofing. It's just a great thing to do. But So my goal from the beginning was to build RHB up to be the world's number one distributor of Puritan literature, which we, we, we which we certainly are now because we also have all the Soledale Gloria line of books as our mm-hmm. imprint. And at the same time, we have upstairs, uh, where I'm sitting in Puritan Seminary, we have the world's largest collection of uh, antiquarian Puritan literature. So uh, scholars can come from around the world and study Puritans that haven't been reprinted yet um, here as well, and so I just made that my life's interest and commitment to really revive Puritans, um, both antiquarian and through reprints.
0: Yeah, it's it, it is it is tremendous. Um, I know I've personally benefited. I'm sure many people could line up behind me and 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 echo that same. That same statement, uh, the benefit that they've had, uh, it's its really great to live in the 21st century in some sense because we get access to this material now um, very, very, uh, really, uh, comparatively speaking, quite quickly um, than maybe it would have happened uh, many, many years ago with the computer age and the digital technology that we have. You are able to do these things at a much faster rate than maybe 50, 60 years ago or even uh, closer than that. Now, this book that you put together, I just want to touch on it really quick. Obviously it's not the kind of book where, like we talked off air, where we can kind of work our way through and talk about the various topics of it. We'd be here for a month, uh, maybe more, uh, talking about all 60 chapters. But, um, as word gets around the seminary here that I'm going to be interviewing you on this book, I get questions from students. And one student, um, did ask me a question as he looked through the book. He was curious as to, um, why did you include certain things because it 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 it's laid out like a systematic theology, um but some things that you would expect maybe in a systematic theology were either left out um and some things were included for instance um the uh sub loci uh categories of like anthropology proper or creation he he noticed that that wasn't included in the book is that was that it by intention or just happened to be that way
1: right maybe well no. uh you know, we knew when we wrote this that we couldn't possibly do a full sum treatment of every, every doctrine because then it would indeed become, uh, you know, very, very bulky and hard to sell because it would be a three- or four-volume work. So what we tried to be guided by was, um, let's do a real mix of things. Let's do some subjects, the Puritans in general, so, for example, the Puritans on Angels, the Puritans on uh, Providence, the Puritans mm-hmm. on uh, Law and Gospel. And then let's do some chapters on uh, particularly famous works in that particular area. So on Providence, we focused on John Flavel; Predestination. We focused on William Perkins, Communion with the Triumph God. We focused on Owen's classic work on that subject. So that's a mix that we try to. to to use. If you just focus on one person, you can go in greater depth, of course, and we found that helpful. But then there were other subjects that we said, you know, we could put together a chapter, and creation was one of them, we could put together a chapter on creation and what the Puritans taught, but they don't seem to really have taught anything on creation that's really that different from what the Reformers had already taught, so there's not a lot of unique contribution here. So maybe that's one chapter we can skip over and Mm. move on. now. There'll be people, of course, that will disagree with that, say, I wish you would have written on this, I wish you would have written on that. And I think we make a reference to that in the preface that, you know, everyone would do it just a tad bit differently than we did, I suppose. But we try to to capitalize on, on areas where we think the Puritans did most of the unique contributions of their theology in.
0: Well, as I'm as I'm reading, as I've leaf through the book, I admit plainly that I haven't read the whole book yet. Um, <laughs> um, but as I re- leaf through it, it, it it strikes me as interesting is is how you and Mark interact with the writings of the Puritans as well. So it's not just a a big reprint of some Puritan work and then the next chapter. It's actually an interactive process that goes through this entire volume. Am I understanding that correctly or reading that right?
1: Oh, yes, yes. I think we've used a few thousand Puritan books in the process. And, uh, yes, uh, in fact, the cover of the book has um, a number of the old volumes that we used a lot of. These are the books we use the most, perhaps. And so we we use a lot of antiquarian works and try to interact as much as we could, yes.
0: Yeah, and I think that's very helpful because it kind of takes in your explanations of various things, okay, takes the Puritan era, as it were, and, and, and brings it back into our 21st century way of thinking in some sense and helps explain some of these things as well. So it's sort of like having a commentator or a, 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 a personal guide, as you as it were, um, as you're dealing with whatever subject it is. And I think that's very helpful, um, especially in, in the age we live in where um, – someone sees a book of this nature, they think 1,100 pages, is he crazy? I'll never read 1,100 pages. But it doesn't come off that way as you're going through it. It, It's it's very
1: helpful. The goal, Bill, is to um, not necessarily read it from cover to cover. In fact, a few of the opening chapters on Prologamina tend to be some of the more difficult ones, but Mm -hmm. just dip into a chapter, just read a chapter at a time, read something that really interests you, and as you get gripped by what the Puritans taught, then perhaps go back and read the chapters you haven't read yet. But uh, it's something that really, really interests you. Now, the goal, of course, is that you won't stop with reading this book, but that this book will move you so that you really can't refrain from buying some of the Puritans yourself. Um, Now, today, we live in a day where some people are having more and more difficulty reading the Puritans, particularly when you don't grow up with King James Version language, um, mm-hmm, so
0: mm-hmm. the
1: authorized version anymore, they have a hard time sometimes with the older language. So we're also working in some fairly extensive ways to bring the Puritans in completely contemporary language. So we've done three books in a series called Puritan Treasures for Today. We hope to do two more each year. They're all small books, about 100 pages, dealing with various topics like Triumphing Over Sinful Fear by John Flavel or Stop Loving the World by William Greenhill. These books, uh, an 11-year-old, 12-year-old could read today. They're in contemporary language. They read very easily without sacrificing any any content. And they were also mm. doing a separate group of books uh, on subjects that the Puritans wrote a great deal about, but there's nothing good in English today. So um, it's called... Uh, a Puritan classics, where you take five or six books on a subject. Um, the first book was Living by God's Promises. The Puritans wrote so much on living by God's promises. We have really nothing good today on that. So we took those 2,000 pages, uh, actually, Pastor James LaBelle and myself, and we co authored a book written in a contemporary way, quoting the Puritans throughout. On the cream of what the Puritans said, reducing the 2,000 pages down to about 150 pages and interweaving it with our own order um, so that people can read on this subject and get the riches of the Puritans and not have to wade through 2,000 pages. Then the second volume was Living Zealously. Puritans wrote a great deal about living uh, with zeal. And now we're working on a third volume, Living in in a Godly Marriage. Puritans had all kinds of marriage textbooks. That are thoroughly reformed and so on,
0: and thoroughly needed so those, those, in today's those world. Those are
1: places to begin um, to read the Puritans if you haven't begun, and then from there the goal would be that you actually ease yourself into some of the actual original Puritan writings with the older language, um, but then start with the easier people like Thomas Boston or, or another Thomas Watson and uh, John Flable and move on to say John Bunyan, and then eventually work your way up to men like Thomas Goodwin
0: and John Owen. Sure. Now, one of the things I do appreciate about this book is that in the back of it, um, and this dovetails quite nicely to what you just said, there's an entire section um, devoted to the works that were referenced in the production of this volume. Uh, Now, Some of these, as you said, may be too much for some people to read, but it's a great resource as you're reading through various sections as you pick it up to flip back and look at some of the authors that have been used in the production of this volume and perhaps one catches your eye and relevant to what you've been reading and now you know here's the exact title you can go to your library hopefully maybe and get a copy of it maybe RHB already sells it whatever the case may be there's that entire list there for you to consult and use um, in it, with that goal of, of reading other works, as you indicated, that's one of the goals of this book is to get them reading other, uh, Puritan works. And there there's, there's the list right there at the back of the book. So I I think that's, it, it is a great place for it. Um, and it's helpful. Um, I know I've been looking through it already thinking, Hmm, what do I have? What don't I have? Um, <laughs> trying to decide, uh, what, if I can put that into the budget somehow, but, um, it's a great aid and help, um, as well now it, just quickly, and I know i promised to get you off here real quick um is this meant to be a systematic theology as it were?
1: Well, I think it is in a limited sense because we don't cover every subject, but it's let's say it's meant to be a sampling of a, of
0: a of a full
1: systematic theology
0: mm mhm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, as, and certainly would speak to the question I asked you earlier about some things that were left out and and whatnot. Um, but anyway, I, I got to tell you, I am I'm very excited about this book, and and those that listen um, to this program often, um, you know, I say that about other books, but this one, I, you know, if if you, you can only buy one book this month, then you need to buy this one. Um, it's it's the kind of book that you will you will consult on a regular basis. It's not one of these books you're going to read one time, maybe throw into a corner, never see it again. Um, it's the kind of book that you can put on your shelf, you can pull back down, you can open it up to a certain section, you can read through it, you put it back on your shelf, and three days later you're pulling it back down again for something else. It's a great resource um, for a plethora of subjects and categories. So if you have bought it, get it. It, it, you know, it. it retails, I think, $60, but what is RHB selling it for?
1: We sell it for $45. You can go to heritagebooks.org.
0: Yep, there you go. There's the website, heritagebooks.org. I'm going to have a link on the confessingourhope.com website to the book as well. Um, sounds like it's getting a lot of attention, a lot of interest. Um, we gave one away um, just the other day. Um, the program here at the seminary did um, to promote it. And um, so, uh, please, I really, you're going to benefit. And... Um, as you heard, it's not something they're making a ton of money on they're making and not making any money on it it's It's a great resource for the Christian church, and um you will benefit tremendously from it Dr. Beekkey, I know you're busy and um I know you got a conference you're working on uh, getting ready to go to and um you know i was just thinking when, when is he not <laughs> what is he not busy doing something and but your labors for the church are um very much appreciated um i have often told my friends when we talk about um men that have influenced you throughout your christian life um i, I tell them frequently that dr Beaky's preaching um that i've listened to throughout um the course of the last five or six years has always been a blessing to me and um so that's my own personal thanks to you for your labors in, in in the work of the Church. and um, So I, I don't want to embarrass you, but but I, I do appreciate your your labors and putting together a book like this, which I think is going to be invaluable um, for the people of God, uh, especially in today's world.
1: Well, thank you so much, and thanks for having me on the podcast.
0: Absolutely. If you could just hang on the line just a second, so I wrap things up. I don't want to lose the recording and we get dropped off for some reason. Um, As everybody knows, we've been talking with Dr. Joel Beekie about a book that has just come out and has had a huge amount of interest, Um, they're in their second printing now, it's called The Puritan Theology, Doctrine for Life, it's 1100 pages, systematic theology format um, on numerous topics, 60 chapters, uh, again, uh, go to the website, uh, Heritage Books, and you can find more information there, I will also have a link on our website uh, as well. Coming up on the podcast, uh, again, uh, simply go to our website. You can find out what's coming up in days ahead on the ConfessingOurHope.com website. And until next time, we do thank you for listening to this discussion with Dr. Joel Beakey on a book that I know he's very excited about, and I am too. You should be. Uh, Get a copy of it. But until next time, we thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless.